Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Where do you spend most of your focus? Is it mostly on the protection, on the game planning? What's that protection? It's mostly on the uh, on the asset protection. I prepare educational materials for people so they can do their own asset protection stuff. And then I teach people about asset protection, about different legal entities, corporations, LLCs, trusts, that sort of thing, because lawyers only have so many tools and you use them to do the asset protection of the taxes. It's, it's kind of like the, uh, the construction guy, the, the contractor, do you use a hammer to drive nails in or do you use a hammer to pull nails out? Well, both, right? Mm. So you can use these different tools for tax stuff or asset protection stuff. And sometimes if you maximize taxes, you minimize asset protection. So I'm mostly into just teaching people about the options and what they can do because I learned early on in my life that you can lose everything really fast. So, and we're going to get to that. I mean, I'd be curious to hear that story. I mean, being that you, it sounds like you do some stuff on the financial space, like a financial advisor would do CPA stuff and then attorney kind of with LLCs. Is that kind well, of like the I, spectrum? We do a lot of tax stuff. Um, okay. The IRS is actually your biggest asset protection threat, in my opinion. They're taking a chunk of everything you make, and that's a guarantee. And if I can save you just even 10 or 20% of your taxes, that's huge. So we concentrate on that. Uh, and what what did you ask? You ask. Do you uh, take the place of like an attorney? Do you take the place of a financial advisor? Do you take the place no, of a I. I don't take the place of a financial advisor, although I've been there, but I don't really even take the place of an attorney. I'm, I'm an educator now. Uh, I used to do the legal work. I'm a U.S. Supreme Court counselor, uh, federal tax attorney, that sort of stuff. But I just don't take clients anymore. I'm, I'm interested in the education. So you educate the people so they're aware of how to uh, talk to their people on what to do and what, to get what their options are, what they can do. Uh, unfortunately, when you go into the lawyer or even the financial advisor, they're going to steer you in the specific direction that they're trained or that they make their money or whatever it is. But there are a lot of other options in most cases, and you need to know what those options are so that you don't just get channeled down one path and might not be the path you want. Gotcha. So attorneys are, it's easy to snow people. We go to school for an extra three years to learn how to speak and write. So you can't understand us. Uh, and, and so they come in and, and people are intimidated. They're scared. Uh, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what their options are. And I try and tell them, okay, this is what your options are. This is what you can do. This is what you, so that they understand what they can do. And, can control the process. I use the line, uh, you know, how many of you have ever been used by a lawyer before? And, and all the hands go up. Uh, no, no, the object is to use the lawyer, not be used by the lawyer. So 
And that, and that's probably, I mean, it's, it's a tough thing when you're sitting in front of someone that you feel has that much power, you learn to listen, right? Just suddenly you're the doctor, you learn to listen. And sometimes you don't give your, your feedback or thoughts of what might be happening or an extra check on this or that or whatever it might be. Well, you don't even know what your options are. And, and over the years, I've told people never, ever take an attorney on as a business partner because the attorney will control what you do. He simply says, well, you know, that's not really legal. We can't do that. We need to do it this way. But the attorney doesn't have the, I'm going to say the business skills, the insight, the vision that you have, and yet they end up controlling your company. So never take on an attorney as a business partner. It doesn't work. Gotcha. Well, let's re let's rewind. I mean, what's I mean, who was a young Lee kind of growing up? Was did he have plans, aspirations to be a speaker, to be in this this space? Nope, not at all. Never. Uh, I got a bachelor's degree in geology and physics, and a master's in nuclear chemistry, and then I got a law degree, and I was going to be a patent attorney, and that all came to a quick end about three months after I started to work for the big patent firm, I simply got sick. And if I say asset protection, you think lawsuit, but 56% of all bankruptcies in the United States are a result of somebody in the family getting sick. Oh, wow. So the asset protection goes way beyond the lawsuit. The question is, are you gonna lose your real estate investments? Are you gonna lose your little company when you get sick? And the answer for most people, is yes. I mean, I lost my company. We lost everything when I was sick. I was diagnosed with cancer and given two to three weeks to live, literally, and spent uh, five months in an intensive care isolation unit and didn't work for three more years. And I was married with three little kids at age 27. Oh, wow. So it happens. It happens to people all of the time. And you can do a lot to prepare your foundation so that when a disaster strikes, it doesn't destroy everything you've built your whole life working for. Well, I mean, let's rewind. You talked about, I mean, going to school, I mean, for a, a lot of different avenues. Yeah. yeah my father-in-law thought I'd never get out of school. <laughs> yeah. What was, so what was the idea behind that? You just didn't know what you wanted to, to do, what you wanted to be. You enjoyed school. I mean, what was the, the idea behind that? Well, if you really want to know, I, I was, going to take all the sciences and I was going to be a doctor okay. and I uh, failed the MCAT. And my mother kept saying, I don't want a, a doctor. I want a lawyer. And finally I said, okay, mother, shut up. I'll take the LSAT. And I took the LSAT and came out in the top 99 percentile. And my grade points were in the top 99 percentile. So I thought, well, maybe somebody's trying to tell me something. Maybe I ought to be a lawyer. So I went to law school and, and, uh, and thought, well, I could be a patent attorney. I've got all the science background and patent attorneys make about twice what everybody else does. So sounded pretty good. And I, I started out on that, but when you've been that sick, particularly early in your career, when you haven't worked for three years, I could get a job interview anytime, anywhere. That was easy. Uh, the academics are perfect. And you get into the interview. Well, what'd you do your first three years out of school, kid? Oh, I did cancer research. Oh, well, then you really don't want to be a lawyer, huh? And I was unemployable. I had to make my own living. And I'd never worked for anybody before. I'd never 
never had experience uh, in in the office or anything else. And it was it was a it was a tough slog to figure out what I was doing. And the easiest thing a lawyer can do is a will and a trust and that sort of thing. Uncle Harry needs one. Aunt Gertie needs one. And so I started to do that. And then I figured out that basically the lawyers were in many cases setting the client up for failure because they give them the living trust, but they don't teach them how to make the trust work. And if you don't make the trust work, it doesn't do you any good. The lawyer gets the fee up front for setting up the trust. And then when you die, they get all of the probate fees too. And yet you got the trust because you wanted to avoid probate and eliminate all these problems for your, for your kids when you died. And it didn't work. Hmm. And so I started to write and <laughs> then I started to speak and it just kind of blossomed from there. And I've written lots of books and lots of stuff on, on uh, trust and wills and asset protection and taxes and all of that sort of stuff over the years. Something I, I mean, want to rewind again back to is, is so with all this schooling with kids and the health thing, I mean, did you have a lot of student loans because of all the schooling you went through? No, I had done everything perfectly. I was on full scholarship all the way okay. through and uh, was very fortunate that way. And and I even worked half time and did the teaching assistant stuff and that sort of thing. So I made a living for my kids and my my wife. And, um, you know, my wife stayed with me when I was sick. And you think, well, yeah, well, no. 80% of the cases that end up like mine end up in a divorce. The surviving spouse, the well spouse, the, the pressure on them, the, the I mean, it's just unbelievable. Well, what was, the, what was the pressure on you? Did your wife have a good enough career to allow you the opportunity to, to make money when you got back on your feet with when you got through your health situation? Nope. My, my wife had stayed home. We got married when we were 19 and we had a child a year later and she'd stayed home as a mother. And I had, had been going to school and, and had the scholarships and stuff and did the teaching assistant stuff as we went along and made enough money that we could live. And I had just graduated and we were finally making money. It was kind of cool. And then I got sick. Hmm. So no, she didn't. And for, a year and a half. I mean, it wasn't a question of if I die, it was only a question of how long they would keep me alive. I mean, I was literally the, the, the national guinea pig. Average cancer patient, two, three treating doctors. I had 53 treating doctors. I had over $250 or doctors that actually billed us. Uh, and, and thousand plus doctors I know participated in the treatment. So it was a major effort, uh, a national effort. The head of the American Cancer Society called me up every year for 10 years. The head of the NIH called me up every year for 10 years to see if I was still alive. So that was the type of situation. When the kids got old enough to go to school, Christy went back to school and she graduated in English and, and uh, uh, history. And I said, those aren't exactly the big money-making professions. And why don't you go to law school? So she got in one of the top 25 law schools in the United States and 
went to law school and we both became lawyers and we worked together our entire life until she died about four years ago. She died of a disease called ALS. So I spent five years taking care of her. She took care of me for three. She got even. I took care of her for five. When you were dealing with the health thing, and again, because I mean, I think people listening, right? Are, are, you go through COVID, you go through whatever it might be, and you're, how can I actually make it to the finish line? Or how can I actually start at the start my race? I mean, did you think you were going to die? I mean, with everything saying that you were going to die, do you think you were going to die? Or did you have faith that you were going to live and get through this? Well, I wanted to live because I had my little family. Yeah. Um, but they gave me a 2% chance of living a year. Uh, and for a decade after they wouldn't give me a year's life expectancy. So yeah, I, Christy was told that I was going to die all of the time. And the social workers had come in and say, well, how are you going to take care of your family? He's going to be dead. And so it was, it was a very high stress time for her. I was in a coma most of the time. I wasn't paying too much attention. Mm. So, uh, so you, it, you get the clear, you get the clear that you're, you're on the right, the recovery path. Now, what, what happens to go, okay, now I now got to actually make a living. Was it simple? I mean, what was the, what was the time period of your wife going back to going to school at, for law school? And then you basically trying to find work to just survive. Well, it was about five years later that, Christy started back to school. Okay. I thought, well, I can get a job. I, I've got good academics. I've got everything. I can get a job. And uh, I've actually hired one of the big law firms, patent firms in Salt Lake many times since then. And the owner of the firm, I got an interview with him and I went in. I couldn't sit down because if I sat down, I'd stand back up and my blood pressure wasn't high enough. I'd pass out and I weighed 80 pounds, literally. And I was bald as a cue ball. And this guy and I have laughed about this interview over the years because it was pretty pathetic, <laughs> uh, pretty bad. And I've got a job, a stack of job rejection letters about two inches high. I've actually kept them and you know, I never did get a job. And finally they said, kid, you ain't going to get a job. You got to do it yourself. So, so what was the process uh, of starting your own company? Well, I didn't know what to do. They don't teach you anything in law school. Uh, everything you learn is in the firm when you get out. Well, I never worked for the firm. And so I started to study and it was really hard to figure out how to write a will and a trust. I was a scientist. I didn't want to just take the form and put the names in and spit it out. I wanted to know why it said this, what it was. And they don't tell you what it is. I've been to big continuing education conferences in the last years. And I've asked questions and there'll be 300 lawyers in the audience. Nobody can answer the question. Why? Uh, so... I had, I had a hard time. It was a long learning curve for me. And it was pathetic. The first year I got like one trust. The second year I got two or three trusts. And I actually went to the university where I'd been a student. I'd helped invent a new type of technology. 
And in my two or three weeks as a patent attorney, I'd started a patent on it and it had issued while I was sick. And I said, well, I want to build this thing. Uh, it was called a supercritical fluid chromatograph. And I created a company called Lee Scientific to build these, this thing. And we started to build it. And within three years, a big company in, in California bought us out. So I'm about four or five years out from being sick now. And um, I had given the university a little bit of stock and they made about a million dollars off of it. Oh, wow. And the company sold. And they said, could you do this with other technologies created in the, comp in, in the university? And I said, yeah, I can do it. So I worked for a university for five years, but I didn't have a boss. I did my own thing. And we created lots of cute little companies, uh, companies you've heard of, a lot of them. Are, you, are you allowed to say any of the names or? Yeah, we spun off WordPerfect and Novell and DSearch, and, uh, which is the foundation for the Google search engine. Uh, so we did a lot of stuff, spun out a lot of different things. We invented a couple of medications, uh, the COX-2 inhibitor, that sort of stuff. And we were doing really well. And after five years, I left the university because I was speaking. And I could make a lot of money speaking compared to what the university was paying me. So I said, uh, let's do that. So being that you... I mean, because it sounds like they would have a product and you would build a company based off of that product and then build it up to the point that it could be sold, correct? Right. What was, is there a, a flow chart that if someone's listening right now and they have a product they're building or in the process of it, is there like five, six, seven steps that people got to be aware or think about when going through that process? Well, you've got to secure the legal rights to it. Uh, and that includes getting permission from the owner. If you're not the owner of the technology, and if you've been in a company or a university or something, you're not the owner, they are. So you need to get permission to use it. Uh, it needs to be protected. The concept, the idea that's usually a patent or a trademark or a trade secret, uh, some, some way of legally protecting it. So other people just can't come in and cut your grass, so to speak. And, and the problem we've had in the United States over the years is the professor, the guy invents the thing. If it's really any good, by the time we run it through our legal system here and get the licenses and all of the rest of the stuff, if it's any good, the Chinese are making it and it's back on our market. They've stolen it. Oh, wow. So it's, it's, it's a challenge. And I don't know that we want to go into that in detail, but, um, if you've got something, protect it. Then you got to figure out if you're going to do it yourself, how to finance it. That's you're going to get an angel, a, a seed capital or something. And then you just start up and move forward a little bit at a time. What What's like a, um, I don't know if there's a ballpark pricing of it or time frame for, let's say you have a product or you have an idea, you have, you have something and you're looking to get it copyrighted, get a trademark on it. I mean, what's the, the, is there a ballpark pricing? Is it more if it's, if it's how detailed the product is that it's or? more how detailed the product is. Patents are pretty expensive. Um, 
you don't make the decision to patent something versus on, on how you feel about it. I mean, it's my baby. Of course, I want it to be protected and patented. The question is, how much money is it, is it worth? Because you're going to spend a lot of money getting that protection and you'd better be able to convert this idea, this concept, this product to money in order to justify the patent. So, you know, it's, you need to make some hardcore monetary decisions and projections and, and you need to make them very realistically because you can get way in over your head really fast. Is, are there questions you should ask a patent attorney to say, see if it's the right fit for you? Well, the patent attorney's always happened to ha happy to write your patent because he's going to get paid. Yeah. Uh, it's more of go ask the marketing department, <laughs> go yeah. ask, uh, a, a buddy who markets something and well, ask I, him if he, he can see how to market this and what to do with it. No, I, I mean more so like are all patent attorneys made equal? Is there, or is there like a, a specialist patent attorney that you should basically be looking for or questions you ask that patent attorney to make well, sure they're right fit for you if they want to do it? Or All of the patent attorneys are going to have some sort of a scientific degree. In theory, you have to have a science degree okay. and then uh, you get the law degree and you can become a patent attorney. So you have to have this underlying foundation in order to be a patent attorney. And if you're doing something in electrical engineering, you need the guy who graduated in electrical engineering versus the guy who graduated as in computer science. Uh, so yes, each patent attorney has his field that he works in or she works in. And it depends upon what their background education is. Gotcha. Well, so you're building up this 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 relationship, I guess, with uh, this university. Then, kind of, what what happens next from from there, and then to the point where your wife? Because at that point in time, your wife was partnering up with you, or is that after the university? That's after the university. She okay. actually went to school while I was at the university at that university. Okay. Uh, and it was a good deal because the spouse got to go free. Oh, that's a really good deal. So what, what, what were some, some things you learned in the process of building a company with your, your wife? Cause I've had partnerships on here and sometimes they can be really good. Sometimes they can be really bad. What was the process? I, I've had more people say, how do you possibly work with your spouse? I could never do that. Yeah. Well, we got along pretty well and, and, uh, we worked well together and, and built this, I'm going to call it educational, legal educational company. Sometimes I call it the screw the legal market because I'm preparing educational materials and computer programs and stuff that will allow people to create their own LLC and they don't have to go to the lawyer. Hmm. And I'm going to say, I can have you create your own LLC and you can do it better than 85% of the lawyers in town. Oh, wow. What were like, I mean, was there, a, um, are there things that if someone's thinking about starting a business with their significant other that like you would suggest that they're aware of or do and kind of building that, that relationship? Well, they need to understand the, the legal aspects of, of a business structure. And one thing that I often caution people on uh, years ago, I was speaking up in, in uh, Vancouver, Washington, just across the river from Portland. 
I remember this real well. This guy came up to me and he says, Lee, I've spent $25,000. And this is in like the late 1980s. That, that was a lot of money back then. I've spent $25,000 on the legal work. I'm ready to go. And now I don't have any capital to start the business. Huh. Uh, let's see if we can make the widget. Let's see if we can can sell the thing. Let's see if we can make money and then worry about protecting it. Now, I told you, you had to have your patent in place, but a lot of people are doing things that aren't patentable. And I, I mean, they're, they're, they're buying investment real estate. Yeah. Uh, okay. Buy your first piece before you spend all the money and set up LLCs and all of this crap to, uh, to, to buy your piece of real estate. It'd be nice if you had that on the first one, but I've seen so many people set up and never launch. They never get off the pad. And part of it is they've spent all their money setting up. Hmm. With your speaking engagements and, um, and what you, you do now where you're teaching people how to know the loopholes, know the best way of kind of protecting themselves. What are some of the biggest uh, misconceptions out there that you're finding? In and just in your, in your speaking engagements, th things that you, you thought were maybe common knowledge or things that um, do pop up where there are questions from people that you're, you're, you're teaching. Well, you know, I'll speak to the, the group of business people, the group, the doctors, the pet store owners, uh, whatever it is. And, and if you've got an association with a hundred people who attend the meeting, I'm happy to come talk to you. Uh, but, uh, they come up to me after and they say, Oh, I've got an LLC. And I say, well, how's it taxed? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, have you got an operating agreement? No. Have you done that? No. And they have, they've got an LLC. They think they're in business, but the LLC gives them no tax advantage. It isn't going to protect them when they get sued. It doesn't work. Mm. So that's maybe the biggest problem that I see is people jump these hurdles. They get the corporation or the LLC or whatever it is. They have no clue how to use it. They have no clue what it is. It's not going to do them any good. By far, the vast majority, we're talking 85, 90% of all of the little companies, when you get sued, your LLC, your corporation, your partnership, limited partnership, whatever it is, it ain't going to give you any asset protection. Yeah, you got a piece of paper. One, it was probably set up wrong. And two, you've never used it. And the whole argument when you get into court is, your honor, this guy says he's got a corporation. It's just his alter ego. It's just him. I don't have to honor his corporation. I can pierce the corporate veil and go after him personally. Hmm. And the judge is going to quiz you on, okay, <clears throat> did you treat this as a real company? Did you commingle your money? Did you hold your meetings? Did you do this? Did you do this? And if you can't say yes to all of those, then the judge says, well, you didn't really treat it like a real arm's length company. I don't have to treat it. This guy doesn't have to treat it as a real company they can sue you personally. Gotcha. So the, the big misconception is 
I've got my LLC. I've got my corporation. I've got whatever it is. I'm set. I'm ready to go. And no, it isn't going to do you any good because just having the piece of paper, which you've never read, just having the piece of paper ain't going to do you any good. And I think that's maybe the biggest uh, misconception I see, Vinny. Thank you so much, uh, Lee, for being on the Road with podcast. Um, if people are looking to get more information about kind of next events, things like that that are coming up, what's the best way of getting more information? Probably just uh, my website, legallees.com, L-E-G-A-L-E-E-S. It's a pun on my name, but there's only one L in the middle. So it's legallees. I'm, I'm an attorney. My, my grandson actually went to school last fall and the teacher says, what does your grandpa do? And he said, well, he's a, a, an attorney. And the teacher said, honest? <laughs> and my grandson said, no, he's just a regular one. <laughs> the, uh, and, and that information is in the show notes for everyone out there. I'm going to finish off one last question, Lee. If we were talking in five years from now, where do you see your, your brand, your business? Where do you see yourself being? Well, I hope that we've... Uh, been able to settle in and distribute this information to a lot more people. We're starting to use the, the internet and the, the different forms of social media and that sort of stuff to try and help people understand when they set up the little business, these are the things they have to do. So that sort of thing. And I enjoy the speaking. And like I say, if you've got the group out there, give me a shout. Sounds great. Well, thank you, Lee, for, for being here today. Hopefully everyone listening got some great nuggets. <laughs> there's, there's a lot more things we probably could have got into on this podcast. Oh, uh, we can go for hours. For hours. I could I could feel it. So go on the show notes, go find Lee, reach out if you have that group. I mean, he loves to speak. He has a wealth of education. And I mean, there's probably a lot more stuff that we can talk about. Thank you guys. Please subscribe, please share, and uh go find Lee. Bye everyone. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.